Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insight, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and your host today is Carla Refold. We are joined by Erkang Zheng, founder of Jupiter One. He's a leader in cybersecurity with 15 years of experience in all domains for identity and access, penetration testing, instant response to data application and cloud security. Zheng holds several patterns and he's passionate about combining innovation and ex- execution to deliver practical solutions that address cybersecurity challenges at their root cause. He was previously the head of software security architecture and assurance practice for Fidelity that served, served over 12 million customer accounts. He's also been a lead of team of engineers building customer protection solutions as well as patent pending security R&D. Before Fidelity, Sheng held global leadership roles at IBM Security and a number of tech startups. So I hope you enjoy. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. Well, thank you for having me. So let's find out a little bit more about you. Can you tell us where you were born, where you grew up? Sure. Uh, I was born in Beijing, in China, and uh, I grew up um, in a city called Guangzhou uh, in China, which is pretty close to Hong Kong. Um, and I came over to the States uh, in right after high school. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. So what about education then? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, like, like I mentioned, I, I came to the U.S. after high school and I uh, went to NC State, North Carolina State University for both my undergraduate and my master's study um, at NC State. And you did that in computer science. So was that the first time you heard about cybersecurity? Uh, actually, yeah, pretty much. And at the time, cybersecurity is very new. Actually, there, there wasn't such a thing called cybersecurity. There's network security. Right? So I studied, uh, studied computer science when I was uh, at NC State. And my master's thesis was actually uh, network anomaly detection. So I, I built a anomaly detection engine for NC State. And they were using it for a few years, I believe, after I was done. Uh, and that was that was the extent of Cybersecurity, right? It was basically firewalls, uh, IDS intrusion detection, uh, prevention, and uh, anomaly detections, and uh, network security, and anti-malware. That, that's basically it. The extent of security was was like that. Um, so, talk to us a little bit about your journey of founding Jupiter One, because it's probably one of the most organic journeys to founding a company that you could probably come up with. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's it's been a actually a quite a bit of an interesting journey. So it, it it has to kind of go back and start with uh, all the years that I I myself has been a practitioner in cybersecurity, and um, you know right after I, I got out of school, I, I basically you know worked on a little bit of software development and went right into cybersecurity related fields. Uh, and uh, later on, I, I joined IBM, uh, IBM Security. You know, did a bunch of things over there, took different roles, 
being a consultant and a, um, a, a practitioner running global practices around pen testing, forensics, data security, and so on. And, uh, and then after IBM, I, I went to uh, Fidelity Investment. I was their head of software security for uh, over, over two years and uh, was part of the cloud transformation and digital transformation journey at Fidelity. So all of those kind of brought me into seeing some of the challenges in organizations firsthand. And a lot of the uh, inefficiencies in handling security operations and which kind of drove me to, uh, can we find a way to um, run security and compliance and operations in a more data-driven and automated fashion? And kind of fast forward that to about three years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to work with a startup uh, called Lifomic. And, um, and I joined Lifomic as the CISO and uh, had an early conversation with um, you know, at the time I was joining with the founder and CEO of Lifomic, Dr. Don Brown, and uh, I basically, um, you know, proposed an idea of let's build security right from the from the beginning, right? So because Lifomic uh, was a startup, it did not have the legacy that we have to uh, account for, so we can actually do it right to begin with. And at the same time, while we're doing that internally, you know, maybe we can you know, later on build a product uh, that based on that uh, that idea, right? Based on the internal operations and the prototype and the, and the tooling that we develop internally and turn that into a product down the road. So that's how Jupyter One started and it's uh, it became what it is today. So we're a couple of years in. So talk to us a little bit about that kind of process and how you've evolved it over the last few years. Yeah, so the, the past couple of years, and when we first got started, I was building the internal security operations and compliance operations for Lifomic, right? So for our, at the time, uh, parent company. And and the uh, what we really focused on, it, it really is, you know, how do we use software and code and automation to handle security rather than throwing a bunch of people at the problem? So we, uh, we started leveraging our development organizations to help build automations around security and then uh, gradually turn those into uh, security automations that also benefit the development teams at the same time. So, uh, so uh, again, right, so it helps security organization, but it also help engineering and development and the business at the same time. And well, uh, and we, we started doing that internally, and we went through a bunch of compliance uh, exercises from HIPAA to SOC 2 and uh, GDPR and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and as we're doing that, you know, we started packaging those together and we started having conversations with other similar organizations that are early stage startups and, and, and basically um, show them what we had done, right? So we, we were able to cut down the effort for working with compliance teams and auditors uh, down from you know a couple months to a couple weeks by using automation that we built internally. And at the same time, we were able to automate our internal processes, uh, for example, our change management, our code review, and our you know auditing and monitoring and alerting process all through automation. 
And uh, as we were, you know, chatting with some of those uh, early on um, customers and partners, and they started to realize that this is definitely something that they would love to have, and they they want to be early adopters, right? So we actually had a couple of customers, paying customers, before we even had a product. Um, and from that point on, right, so we start kind of uh, rolling that out, right? So building MVPs, right? So like uh, most startups do nowadays, and build minimally viable products and start offering that, getting already feedback from customers and just continue to grow on features and capabilities. Now, I think most people kind of would like the sound of reducing the time that the auditors have to spend on site with them. So how have you been able to kind of roll that out and improve that for other companies? Uh, it is by using this data-centric approach and, you know, doing everything as code, right? So in today, if you think about DevOps and the cloud digital transformation journey, we have a lot of great patterns that we can learn and apply that to security and compliance. You know, one of the things that really worked out really well uh, is infrastructure as code, right? So if you apply that same concept and, you know, can we describe the security operations in code and in data? And that's basically what we what we built, right? So we have software that aggregates and connect into the operating environment, right? So that includes infrastructure, that includes identity and access and endpoints and user trainings and vulnerabilities and code repositories and so on and so forth. We basically look at the digital operations as data and use that data to describe and aggregate those from different sources and connect them into Jupyter One, which you know, on, in the core is a graph database and the data model that's built on uh, connected entities and relationships and use that to describe an organization's operation. And from that point on, because you have the data, then you can ask various type of questions and many of which the auditors are going to ask. Like, for example, hey, what resources do you have deployed in your production environment and those resources who have access to them? and uh, what data is stored on those resources. And if those data is sensitive or confidential, is those data stores uh, encrypted and so on and so forth, right? So those type of answers that typically will require an engineer or a security team to go collect that information from various environments can now be automated by setting up these queries ahead of the time. Now, you touched a little bit on, uh, you know, DevOps there, and we, we talk about DevSecOps in terms of implementing security into those processes, but it sounds like you've come up with a way of kind of doing it the other way around, where your DevOps is implemented into your security. Is, is that right? It is. It is two things, right? So I look at the DevSecOps, and there are so many different definitions and interpretations of this term, right? So sometimes it's um, confusing what that really means. You know, when I look at DevSecOps, it really is two things. One is security for DevOps, right? So what that what that means is you build security into your development and operations and your DevOps process. So um, and a lot of that is by automation. So with with DevOps, right? So you uh, imagine there's continuous integration, continuous deployment, and there's a pipeline. And what we want to do is to infuse security as part of that automations and every step of that automations. So we actually see a lot of products out there already, right? So that does, you know, code scanning and analysis and 
you know, provide uh, gates and checks as part of that uh, CI/CD DevOps pipeline. And you know, Jupyter One actually supports that um, operating model. So by aggregating data from different sources, right? So Jupyter One, the product that we've built, becomes that decision engine. So you don't have to, your DevOps pipeline don't have to integrate with a bunch of point products, and rather you just integrate to Jupyter One and ask simple questions. You know, the questions will be something like, well, I'm deploying this code, and Jupyter One, you tell me these uh, pull requests or changes to the code that I'm deploying, uh, have they been scanned by whatever scanner that I deem necessary, right? So analysis for my code. And if they have been scanned, you know, what are the findings, if there's any finding? And if there's anything critical, maybe per my policy, I would uh, not let the deploy go through. And at the same time, we can also uh, respond with uh, questions like, look at these changes or the pull requests that have made to these code. Uh, is everything approved by somebody other than the author? Right. So those type of questions, you can come to one place rather than go to four or five different tools to get the answer in, you know, to all of those different type of questions. So that's one, right? So that's security for DevOps. Uh, and the other thing uh, I'll touch on a little bit is development for security. So that's the other aspect of DevSecOps that a lot of people don't talk about, is how do you leverage development and engineering principles in your SecOps, right? So to make security and compliance more automated and more like engineering efforts. You're right. I don't think we do talk about that anywhere near as much. Yeah. So so that's um, that's the other thing is, um, you know, if we do this right, right? So, you know, DevSecOps, we, we talk about a lot of, you know, digital transformations and things like that. You know, I really think that uh, this is something that we need a transformation for security uh, is to use automation and code and data to transform how we operate security as a whole. Now, when you were first building the platform, how did you find the people to help you? Um, we, we got a lucky start with a lot of great internal resources and talents, right? So um, my uh, technical lead, uh, Phil Gates Item, and is my um, chief architect on the Jupyter One team. So uh, he was there at Lifomic even before I joined. And uh, when I was building Jupyter One and describing these concepts to a few of the team members, uh, and uh, he was very interested in, in jumping on board and helping me build this, right? So. Uh, you know, from that point on, we leveraged a couple of uh, internal resources, like I described, to jumpstart the process. And, and then, you know, from there, right, so we brought in a lot of uh, additional talent from folks that we all know, right, so from our uh, networks of previous uh, talented uh, engineers and, you know, sales and marketing resources that, um, uh, that we know, know of. Uh, and that's that's one channel that we've had. Like for example, we uh, recently uh, hired a uh, a kick-ass um, CMO, chief marketing officer. It's a technical term, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and he he came through uh, my network of investors and and other people that that I know about, right? And uh, a lot of that is just because, you know, with these networks, you can already there's a lot of trust already there. 
um, that you know people that see the visions and you know can jump in very quickly, um, and that's how we build the inertial team this way. Now, I think you've made a great point there, you know, about those people that you know and come through your network. And for a lot of people trying to get started in the industry at the moment, especially this year, it, it's tough to start building that network. Have you got any tips on how people can can do that and how they can focus on the long term? Yeah, that that is that is a great question, and that's very hard to do, actually. Right. So, you know, LinkedIn is is a great tool. Right. So, I, I use LinkedIn a lot. Uh, I meet people at uh, events. Uh, and so on, and um, you know, just be open and, and kind of put yourself out there, right? So meet people and have conversations and connect them, uh, you know, connect with them, and you know, occasionally keep up. I think the difficult part is maintaining those relationships, right? Because um, you know, nowadays getting connected with someone on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook is is easy, but building a meaningful, long-going relationship is hard. Uh, I think for that part, we have to be somewhat selective, right? So, you know, having a network of um, 2,000 or 5,000 people that connects with you uh, is not sustainable in a way or scalable in a way that you can maintain every single relationship, right? So I I think one thing I um, very much try to do is uh, I try to stay in touch with with folks, um, you know, uh, over time, right? So just checking with them and you know tell them what's up from my perspective and have these kind of networking events and opportunities uh, either directly face to face or nowadays it has to be virtual. Um, that you know and like for one example that I always do is if I had the opportunity to go to a conference uh, and I try to get folks in my network and ask uh, and who's going to be there and try to meet up with them and uh, and catch up um, you know whenever possible in a face-to-face setting no great point that you know that that is hard to keep that relationship going now you have some big news for Jupiter one so can you share that with us of course uh, we were previously a uh, subsidiary company of Lifomic, like I mentioned earlier. Right? So we started the product there, we incubated, and um, it, it got us to a point where we have uh, a number of great customers, right? So some of those are kind of household names in the in the technology uh, space, uh, folks like Reddit and Databricks and Edapar and uh, HashiCorp. Right? So those are our happy customers of Jupiter One. So we we came to a point where uh, we needed to be a standalone separate entity to continue to grow and scale. So the big news is uh, we completed uh, completed a spin out, um, and we've received a round of Series A funding uh, led by Bain Capital, um, and we're now a uh, independent uh, security company on our own with uh, great funding and support from a um, well-known organization and um, on our board is actually um, an individual uh, named uh, Enrique Salem who is the former CEO of Symantec, right? So we have a lot of great tractions going on from this point on with the uh, funding and the spin out. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Now that's, um, you know, that's that's kind of great news in a year where lots of people have, you know, 
worried about how companies can can grow or their company can grow. So was that a 2020 plan or was that has that always been part of the roadmap? And we, to be honest, we didn't really put a timeline to it, right? So we wanted to just grow the business, build a product, grow the business, and um, you know, whenever is the right time to engage with a outside uh, VC um, and you know do a spin out, it uh, it could be sooner or later, and it happened that this is the right time for us. Uh, and I think um, to some extent. You know, uh, COVID played a bit of a role in the, in this as well, right? Is um, you know we we see that uh, it is the right time to um, you know work to start working with investors and at least start kind of putting ourselves out there and getting feedback from investors. And as soon as we did that, you know, we actually got a lot of interest. So um, we just went ahead and uh, move forward with the plan. And what uh, made it easier to some extent is because we are a uh, an East Coast company, right? So I am in North Carolina myself, and a lot of the investors and the VC firms that I've talked to, they are mostly on the West Coast. So given the current situation, we actually made it somewhat easier without having to travel back and forth to have a lot of in-person meetings and follow-ups, and it actually made this uh, process a little bit smoother. I love that. I think we're hearing more and more stories about how this year the the changes that we've been forced into have created good things and better circumstances. Um, and it's definitely true. I think that you know companies have accelerated plans that would have otherwise happened. That's right. That's right. And I I, I saw <laughs> recently I saw one of the posts on LinkedIn, and you might have seen this as well. So there was a. Um, a question with the multiple uh, choice answers, and the question was, um, you know, who accelerated your digital transformation for your organization? And the choices were the CEO, the CTO, the CIO, or COVID nineteen. And the uh, selected answer was COVID nineteen. Yeah, I think I've seen the same thing, and it's so true. <laughs> so tell us about the plans going forwards. Well, at this point, right, so we really wanted to focus on on growth and focus on scaling. And the scaling is both on the business and as, as well as the product. So I uh, I have the, the vision that, you know, Jupiter One uh, can become the foundation, well, actually it has become the foundation for many organizations to run their security operations on, right? Because uh, if you think about the approach that we're taking, right? So we're taking a data-centric approach to security and compliance, and also taking an approach that we can use data and automation to bridge the gap between security and compliance. And I'm sure you've heard the term that uh, compliance doesn't equal security and vice versa, right? So I've been saying that as a consultant for uh, almost a decade, and the more I say it, the more I kind of question, you know, why that is the case. It is kind of you know, it doesn't make sense. Um, and so all of that to say is we've built Jupyter One as a platform that uses data to drive multiple initiatives. And what we like to do from this point on is to, you know, build Jupyter One into what you can imagine as this modern operating system for security and compliance, if you will, or this knowledge base for security and compliance. 
So that's where we are going to uh, continue the effort is to uh, scale into more enterprise settings, right? So to um, kind of extend what our cu current customer base, which a lot of them are uh, small enterprise customers into the Fortune 500 enterprise customers and uh, to be able to not only support the cloud environment, which we do really well today, but extend that cloud operating model to a hybrid and on-prem environment of the more traditional enterprises. Now, you've obviously taken an investment from the VC, and there are people that you know question, is a VC the right place for me? Should I be looking at a different way of getting funding? Should I be making my funding and my growth organic? So what kind of helped with your decision making on that? And there's no right answer to to that, right? It a lot of that depends on your business model, you know, your your product, and whether or not that you have a product that is, you know, largely driven by uh, organic growth, or is it a B two B product? Is it a B two C product? And uh, what what you look at from a VC standpoint, uh, it really is two things, right? So this this helped me. Um, drive my decision in picking the right VC partner uh, throughout the funding process as well. And uh, at the end of the, the funding process, I actually had a number of different firms that are very interested in leading the round for Jupiter One. And I, I was you know, very flattered that uh, there are so many VCs interested and, and believe in the the vision that of what we have and the tractions that we had already gained. Um, the key criteria for having the VC is is not just the funding, right? Because you can get funding from different sources. You can get funding from friends and family. You can try to grow the business organically. You can take a venture debt. You can take a loan, right? So there, there are many ways to do that. Um, the significant benefit that um, I see VCs bring to me uh, is one, the experiences in running and scaling the business, right? So to take Jupiter One from this point on, still an early stage organization to a, you know, two, three, four hundred million dollar company, right? So how do we go from this point on to the next milestone? And how do we get there the most efficient way? And you know, without having to learn those lessons the hard way, right? So, so that's one huge benefit that the VCs can bring. They've done they've done this so many times. They have so many other organizations that are maybe in similar boats, even though maybe a different business. But the the journey and the business operations uh, are often similar, and you can learn a lot of um, lessons from from the VCs and the organizations that they've worked with. So that's one. And second is, you know, not only can the VCs bring you funding that you very much need, but they can help drive relationships and build business and work on strategies and, and so on, um, you know, with the founder and with the founding team, right? So I very much uh, are looking forward to partnering with uh, Bain and Enrique and others from, uh, from my, you know, my VC today to help bring customers, introductions, right? Another 
um, venture capital uh, firm that I'm also working with is Rain Capital, and uh, Chen Shi uh, is the, uh, the the founder of Rain Capital, right? So both Enrique and Bain and Chen Shi from Rain have already brought me a lot of contacts and connections, and that is that trusted introduction to a potential customer, and they can not only potentially be customers of Jupiter One. But if not, they will bring valuable feedback in how we can improve. Now, I think that's a really interesting point because we hear a lot about how cyber is quite a crowded marketplace at the moment, lots of different products and vendors. So is this one of the ways that you hope to stand out? Uh, well, yes, yes, yes and no. I, I think having trusted connections will be a way of um, building the brand and building the awareness. But for us to truly stand out, it, it, it has to kind of come down to the product and the vision itself uh, to some ex to, 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 to a large extent. And, and you're absolutely right. It is a very crowded space and there's a lot of good products out there and there's a bunch of you know not so good products as well that are generating noise. And uh, I think for me, it really comes down to two things. One is we have a product that works and a product that solves customer issues and pain points. And uh, we have a lot of great feedback and, uh, uh, and responses from customers that are currently using Jupyter One, right? So that's one that's very important is to have a very customer focused product that solves real problems. And, and that's one. And second is as we position ourselves, uh, we want to be as transparent and practical as possible. So if you look at Jupyter One's website, for example, uh, we tend to stay away from marketing buzzwords as much as possible. We want to be as open to describe the features and capabilities with a lot of screenshots, a lot of documentation in a kind of down to earth kind of manner as much as possible. And we we rather not use buzzwords like next generation or AI or you know things like that to attract attention, but at the end of the day just kind of generates a bunch of noise, right? So I think those are the two things, right? Again, a customer-centric product that solves the problem, and second is be practical and transparent from the messaging and marketing. I think that's good advice. So, what do you think is going to be next for security? You know, what what risks and threats do you think we should be worried about over the the coming months and years? Uh, I think it really is going down to the basics. And um, I know the, the market talks a lot about, you know, hey, what's that next biggest thing, right? So is it IoT, is it 5G, and, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, and a lot of that, those type of reports and generate a lot of, um, gets a lot of uh, eyeballs and attentions. But to me, I think what really... Uh, is next is for organizations to get down to the basics and doing the basics well uh, because we are moving so fast right and 
as a technology industry, we've moved too fast for the security uh, aspect of it to catch up. And we're still playing catch up in a lot of senses. And, and that's actually the, the starting point of Jupyter One is that uh, we start from the basics of a asset management, asset discovery. And the idea, it really is, you know, you can't protect what you can see, right? And what, and this has been a challenge that I've seen many, many years as a security practitioner myself, is that while we have a lot of great tools and controls and, um, you know, fancy products out there, you know, most organizations, uh, we, we failed at one thing, which is we don't know ourselves all that well. And we focus a lot on knowing the adversaries and getting threat intel of the bad guys and what's out there, what's the next biggest trend and what's the, the risk out there. But we fail to realize, or maybe we realize a lot of these CISOs, they do realize, but just don't have a great way of addressing this is how do we know ourselves really well so that we don't get into a situation that attackers may know ourselves better than we do, right? So I think that is the biggest risk that we should worry about. It's not necessarily a future risk, but it is an existing one that it continues to compound as, as an issue for most organizations. And obviously, as you bridge that gap between compliance and security, what do you think is coming down the road for us from a, a compliance standpoint? I think compliance has to um, converge with just the overall IT and security operations on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, you know, I I have nothing against compliance. I think compliance is a is a is a necessary evil almost. And it is started with the greatest intent of, you know, getting people to right to do the right things or getting organization to do the right things. But it is failing to be effective because of how compliance today is is operated. And uh, I think the two main problems for me, right? I've been an auditor myself uh, in the past, uh, and the main problems I see with compliance is that number one, it is a point in time exercise. Uh, the auditors come on site on a you know once a year or maybe you know every quarter if you have internal audit uh, type of things right so it's it's still very much a point in time exercise and that's one and number two is it is a very subjective exercise and it is a survey driven exercise by and large right so if you think about how compliance works and how assessment and audit works somebody comes on on site and say hey Let's all get into the room and have these meetings and we talk about these requirements and controls and folks on the other side of the table, you need to provide evidences and you know show me how you're doing A, B, and C. And the evidence is a lot of time is produced with low quality data and combined with a lot of curation of the data that's presented to the auditors. So it's very much a interview process and survey driven process. So those two things, right? So a point in time exercise that is survey driven, that is subjective, makes compliance doesn't work as an end result. Uh, and for compliance to work, right? So I think this is sort of the other foundation that Jupyter One is built upon is that 
it needs to evolve into a model where compliance is the natural outcome of security operations and IT operations done correctly. And that has to be based on data and automation and a continuous basis. So in order to do this continuously, right, so especially today when everything's software defined and, you know, in the cloud and changes every minute almost, you know, you have to rely on automation and code and data to provide a continuous compliance status. Now, with with things being continuous, everything in security and technology, it's it's always changing and, and growing. So how do you keep up to date and make sure you stay current? Uh, it's by doing, right? So by always experimenting and doing it um, uh, ourselves. And we, we look at the, the way Jupyter 1 actually runs internally is... Uh, you know, we look at the problems that customers are facing as our own internal problems as well. So, you know, our uh, engineering team is the same as our security team. It's the same as our kind of customer uh, facing team as well. So uh, the latest and greatest problems that the customers are having, we'd like to experience that um, firsthand, right? So if they have use cases and challenges, we want to replicate that and think about those use cases internally uh, and, you know, adopt our product and adopt our processes to support that. And I think that's the best way for us to keep up is to be um, always in line or in oftentimes a bit ahead of what our customers' use cases are. And so we can continue to evolve and innovate around, um, you know, those new things. Now, we end every podcast with 10 quick-fire questions. So, uh, are you ready? Sure. What turns you on professionally? A great user experiences. Uh, yep. What turns you off professionally? The lack of attention to details. How do you unwind? Uh, this one, this one is a bit hard because I, I feel like I haven't in a while, and uh, I do have. I'll, I'll probably go back to a few hobbies. I enjoy skiing when the time is right, and um, you know, do a weekend trip uh, trip with my family, um, you know, when possible, uh, or just uh, you know, listen to music and watch TV with uh, with family. Uh, and occasionally, I actually take on a home improvement project and do some bit of a work myself around the home and, you know, build a cabinet or something. Um, yeah, that's that's how I unwind, I guess. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Um, I'd like to build things and help people, uh, just, you know, the, my nature of, of that. And... I, I could imagine potentially be, being a doctor or a lawyer even, um, and uh, probably one of those two. What activity gives you the most energy? It goes back to building things, right? So whether that is you know building software or building a business or you know building things for around the house, right? I think building things. 
Who is your biggest inspiration? I can I can think of a number of people, um, but I I would have to attribute this to my grandparents, um, who had gave, given me the biggest inspiration since uh, since I was young and throughout my my life and my career. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Reflection. You are at your best when you're doing what? I like to say everything. But, <laughs> uh, I like that answer. <laughs> I say uh, uh, working with the team with the same passion towards a common goal. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? That's, that's, a, that's a pretty heavy question. Uh, I would just say, you know, ask yourself and and ask the question a different way, right? What, what might be the biggest regret if, if today was your last day? And just stop everything and do that. This one's also a, a deep question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? You've made a great difference on many people's lives. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.